You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. When I was a kid, from around the age three to age six, my younger sister and I had our first babysitter. Her name was Sarah Holly, and she was this young, kind, fun, funny babysitter that our single parent mom found for us while she worked full time, including the weekends. So we'd go to preschool all week, and then on the weekends we were dropped off at Sarah Holly's house. For years, that was the routine. And for some reason that I still don't know, even to this day, we never just called her Sarah. It was Sarah Holly, first and last name. Every weekend, we'd get dropped off at Sarah Holly's house, a big stone house in a beautiful neighborhood, sort of long, winding stone walkway up to her front door. And inside her house, she had a big, fancy living room with a fireplace, and up winding wooden stairs, there were hallways and bedrooms. We were never allowed to go in her room, so it always seemed really cool and mysterious. The house had a small kitchen with lots of cupboards and a fenced-in backyard with ivy growing along the vines. And each day, we had different activities. Sometimes we'd play dress-up, and I loved wrapping the fluffy pink boa scarf around my neck and putting a crown on my head. In the winter, we'd put on our one-piece snowsuits and go outside. In the summer, we'd walk to the movie theater where her friend Todd worked at the ticket box. And when we were just at her house, passing the time, we'd play a game called Find the Thimble, which sounds like what it is. Sarah Holly would hide a thimble in her enormous house, and we would spend the day trying to find it. It was a thrilling afternoon if you're looking for a way to spend the time this summer. We loved Sarah Holly, and she loved us. My mom still has framed photos from some of our adventures gifted to my mom at Mother's Day and Christmas. The only day of heartbreak I ever felt in Sarah Holly's care was the day my mom told us that Sarah Holly was moving away, that she was going to college and couldn't be our babysitter anymore. What do you mean she's leaving? Now what? In our child minds, Sarah Holly was ours forever. We continue our Easter season series this week, Life in All Its Fullness. When we ask in this season of light and hope and celebration, what does it look like to be Easter people? To truly believe and live as though we have indeed been given life in all its fullness. Especially when life doesn't always feel 
flourishing with abundance. It doesn't always feel secure or safe or joyful. And not just when the childhood babysitter goes to college. But it's true, our lives, our city, our world are filled with heartache and so many unknowns. The, the war abroad and the terrors of our own nation. The ongoing debates around bodily autonomy and disasters of policy. The frustration and danger of unending gun violence. The crisis of production that was funny when nobody could get their lawn furniture, but it's not funny when babies don't have food to eat. And then our own lives, our own marriages and work and children and illness and stress and traumas that need tending to, too. Sometimes I ask myself, how can all this be real? How can one person, one community bear all of this on our hearts? When will any of this get better? It all just seems a little untenable sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who has moments of feeling that way. Our scripture reading today takes us back to another story of overwhelm and anxiety and grief. And this story that we've sort of jumped into in the Gospel of John, it's before Jesus' resurrection at Easter, and it's before his death on Good Friday. The story we read is part of what's called Jesus' farewell discourse, but it's really just a goodbye conversation that he's having the night before his death. It's also the lectionary passage for this week, so people in worship here and home and all over the world are thinking about this story today. Why in Easter are we going back? The story is when Jesus starts to explain to his disciples all the things that are about to happen, that Jesus is going to the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come down because everyone else is going to stay put but the Holy Spirit will help them on their journey, help them to remember the life that they have had with Jesus, everything he said and did, because Jesus is saying goodbye. He's preparing his followers for a life and a future when he's not walking by them, right by their side. And the disciples, understandably, have a lot of questions about this. It's not great news to them. So they ask where are you going? Why can't I follow you there? Well, we don't know, Jesus, where you're going, so how are we going to find the way? Basically, how is all of this going to work? What do you mean you're leaving us? After all this time of teaching and preaching, healing and praying, resting and eating together, and probably also just palling around, playing find the thimble, Jesus is saying goodbye. So they're so anxious and afraid and grieving and they have so many questions and they don't totally understand. But in all their worry and uncertainty, Jesus offers them a great gift in these final days together. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. Do you ever wonder why we show signs of peace to one another every Sunday? We just did it a little while ago. We did our confession. Well, we learned how old me and Charlie are. And then we did our confession and our reassurance. And then I said, may the peace of Christ be with you. And you said, and also with you. And then we all get up and we share signs of peace. What's this about, this funny little exchange we all do in the middle of worship? It's not just to sort of have a stretch break if we're getting a little stiff. And it's not to make the introverts in the room uncomfortable. But think about it. Every week, no matter what's going on in our world, what's going on in our lives, if we've walked in here having the best day of our lives, or if we've walked in here barely making it through, we get up and we offer each other these signs of peace, a handshake, a hug, a look of appreciation and kindness to your neighbors. Those of you who watch online, you type little messages of peace. And from near and far, we're doing this rustling around thing of greeting one another and touching one another with peace. Maybe it's exactly because of what's going on in our lives and in our world that we practice this peace. Because when we do this, when we do this little practice and exchange, we are reenacting and remembering that Jesus too offers that same peace. And it's not just when he's saying goodbye, like in the scripture we read, it happens again. It happens again in his resurrection. A few chapters later, after the big reveal that the tomb was empty and everyone has questions about where did he go, what happened, what now, when the disciples are gathered together in these small rooms talking about, did this all really happen? Now what? Jesus shows up to his disciples in that first encounter, the first thing Jesus says to them is, peace be with you. And then he shows his disciples the wounds on his body, and they recognize him, and they rejoice, and again his response is, peace be with you. And so all these years later, we practice that same peace. When Sarah Holly went to college, I was upset. And I will confess that my sister and I were not always kind to the babysitters that followed in her footsteps. We did not always greet them with peace. Some of them did not come back after their first weekend with us. I think part of me hoped that Sarah Holly would quit college, that she'd come back that we'd all be like Peter Pan and we'd never grow up. I had hopes of some big change, some flash, and everything would be fixed and we would be okay. But it wasn't anything flashy or quick that made us okay. It was the little stuff, the photos that kept hanging in the hallway, my mom's kindness in understanding our sadness, 
It was our laughter and the fact that my sister and I experienced this together. All the small stuff, these places of comfort and peace made my six-year-old sadness bearable. So then how do we face really hard truths, sometimes unbearable truths, and trust that we will be okay? How do we face the truth of loss, of illness, or grief, or hurt, or death, and trust that our hearts will mend, that this isn't the end of the story? It turns out that we can't just look up at our mothers or scream up at God or the universe and say, mend my heart, fix this mess. Because being okay after all, bearing the unbearable, doesn't happen in grand slams or big flashes. It happens in every small exchange, every passing of peace. What happens when we're depleted? It's not the big flash that saves us in the world. It's the tiny acts of love and justice and kindness every day. It's not the powerful speeches or the New Year's resolutions or the big promises, but it's our everyday exchanges of saying, peace be with you. Good morning. Good night. I'll help you. How are you? I'm with you. I see you. Bless you. Thank you. I love you. When we are depleted, or sad, or angry, or scared, or just tired, we do well to help each other take it one quiet day at a time. We do well to sing like it's Easter, even when it feels like Good Friday outside. We do well to share signs of peace as often as we can in every way we can. Like hiding a thimble in a big house, there are so many small places for peace. Thanks be to God. Amen.